Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partners and that's Psychology, We Are One Composites and Santa Cruz and they've got some awesome offers for you coming right up. Psychology are a clothing company who make riding and casual gear with bold designs that stand out from the crowd, all from the northern beaches of Sydney in Australia. If you've been looking for something a little bit different, then Psychology could well be the brand for you. Because Psychology is a direct-to-customer brand, it means that the quality you get for the price you pay is incredible. I've been riding in the short-sleeve mountain bike jersey and shorts recently, and I can tell you that the quality is great. The jersey feels amazing next to the skin and is really lightweight. The riding shorts are well-featured, light, well-cut, and they're stretchy too. With a generous offer that Psychology is giving to downtime listeners up until the 5th of July, you could get that combo delivered to your door for just £84. There's a full range of quality road riding gear to choose from too, and a big women's range as well. Head over to psychologygear.co.uk, that's psychology spelled C-Y-C-O-L-O-G-Y, and check out their range of unique designs. By using the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout, you'll get 20% off until the 5th of July. That's downtime, all uppercase, followed by the number 20. And the 5th of July is not very far away, so be quick if you're interested. There's a clever online sizing app that helps you choose the right size. There's free shipping on all orders over £25 and 90 days money back returns too, so you can order with no worries. Head over to psychologygear.co.uk now. If you've ever thought about getting yourself a set of carbon wheels, I can highly recommend giving We Are One Composites a go. I'd ridden other carbon wheels beforehand and not been impressed, finding they were way too harsh and led to a punishing ride characteristic which took away from their potential benefits. When I tried We Are One, that changed. The wheels are stiff and direct and they hold a line incredibly well, but somehow they've managed to build in enough compliance so that they're not harsh and they don't ping off every little obstacle on the trail. I've been riding We Are One for a long time now and I've never had any issues and literally all I've done to look after them is wash them every now and again. I've been running a Faction 29 front wheel paired up with a Union 275 on the back and I've been super happy with them. If you're looking for a set of carbon wheels from a brand who really cares about making the best products they can and looking after their customers too, then We Are One are the ones for you. What's more, as a downtime listener, you can get 15% off all wheel sets built with Onyx Vespa hubs and all rim-only products until the 31st of July. All you need to do is use the code VESPER15 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's V-E-S-P-E-R-1-5, all uppercase, over at weareonecomposites.com. The second issue of our print project, Downtime EP, is available now. Packed full of great writing and amazing photography for mountain biking's best, it takes some of the topics and guests from the podcast and brings them into something beautiful to read and cherish. You can get your copy or an annual subscription over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. There's buttons there to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. There's merch available if you want to support the show. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, joggers and shorts over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can also get in touch and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at downtimepodcast. This episode is also supported by Santa Cruz, who are the headline sponsor of the Stone King Rally, which takes place for the first time ever this week. And I'm joined by the man behind it all, Ash Smith. Ash is responsible for the world's first point-to-point multi-day enduro race, the Trans-Provence, and now the Stone King Rally. With the first ever Stone King Rally starting today, we sat down to find out more. We discuss Ash's background, the Trans-Provence, and starting a brewery, as well as finding out all about the Stone King Rally itself. Way more than just an enduro race, Stone King offers us all the chance to sample some of the best mountain biking adventures on the planet through a non-race format that is scalable, sustainable and will help to benefit everyone along the route. It's a super interesting project and something I'm certainly super keen to try and ride and I hope you enjoy finding out all about it. Alright, without further ado, here's Ash Smith. Ash Smith, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. It's... uh. It's been a while, eh? It's been four and a half years, if I remember rightly. Yeah, insane. And it's uh, it, there's been a lot of things that have gone on in that time frame. The podcast has changed and grown a fair bit. And uh, there's been trans-provences and, and new projects from yourself. So for the benefit of people that maybe didn't hear that early episode, because like I said, the podcast has grown a lot since then, we're just like touching on, a, on your background a little bit, just so people kind of know where where you come from i guess how bikes came into your life so tell us a little bit about the early days i think it was one of your dad's mates wasn't it that got you into mountain biking 
It was one of my dad's mates who got me into mountain biking. But, you know, to be honest, as soon as I really ever saw a mountain bike, which was year, years before that, I sort of knew that it was for me, it would be my tool. Because, um, you know, whatever the thing is that I have got, it's been with me since a very, very um, young age. And so I was a very small person. Um, and, you know, you, you may be old enough to remember um, the TV show Kickstart, where yeah. know, people batting around on little trials bikes back in the day and through streams and across rivers and things like that. And I just, you know, I was four, literally four years old and thought to myself, that would, it's something like this, but on a long, you know, long distance multi-day kind of thing, it'd be great. And on two wheels, something on two wheels, a mountain bike didn't exist yet or might have been in the middle of being invented, you know, 1982, 1983, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I sort of imagined, you know, it was four years old, so I imagined them sort of jumping through fire and stuff like that as well. Um <laughs> It just so that's some some there's some sort of seed that's been there for a very 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 long time, well before Transperance ever came about, well before I knew what a mountain bike was. So as soon as I ever saw a mountain bike, I knew that you know, I was a mountain biker before I ever had one. And then a friend of my dad's, well remembered, a friend of my dad's um, did indeed. Uh, he worked in mountain bike events in the early nineties and was able to facilitate getting me a decent. Decent mountain bike. So that was um, 1990, and then the rest is history and everything built to Trans-Provence from that point. For sure. And you, yeah. I mean, you've never been kind of particularly attracted to mountain bike racing in its more traditional guises, I guess. You were never uh, one of these people that was racing every weekend all over the country, right? More into the adventure and discovery side. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was never, you know, I sometimes liked the, I totally do the idea of challenging myself whenever I got to a start line and, you know, felt a bit, you know, with nerves and stuff. And so it wasn't for me. And it has always been, you know, much more about riding, you know, sharing a certain type of riding with people, you know, making sure everyone else, um, you know, knew about a certain type of riding that was out there. Um, I was lucky enough to start riding in the Alps, uh, quite early on as well. Um, so yeah, but racing, racing was never a thing for me, but then I sort of realized that races did draw people in. So therefore okay, a race is something that feeds mountain biking because so you can use it as a showcase. So that's kind of how Transperance came, came, came about. It's like, you know, the, the idea of a long, long distance itinerary, the idea of sending people into some sort of adventure, like had been there this sort of like swirling around in my brain for years and years but then gradually um accepted the fact that it'd have to be an event um so yeah I started, I started getting built towards from about 27 2007 2008 onwards um, what were then, you doing yeah. for work then were you uh were you still in the rail industry because you're an engineer for yeah. a chunk of time right yeah yeah a little bit but i was in Switzerland, um, working for the National Railways in Switzerland, it was really flexible with time off and stuff like that. So it could, you know, get um, get unpaid leave in the summers. And then actually 2009, the whole of the team that I was on got deleted, which is, you know, pretty much the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> got a, you know, got a year's payout and pretended to be upset like the rest of the people who were in a career in my in the team that I was in. So it's quite cruel that isn't it? But anyway, it was it was great for me. And um that was a springboard to go and you know kick up the backside to go and get this all started once and for all. Transprovence. So that ran for eight editions, um so nine editions uh in consecutive years. And then right after the 2017 one I spoke to you about the fact that I was having a year off to just think a little bit about the future. Think a little bit about how to really um, kind of regenerate and renew trails year on year and keep the adventure true to its original spirit and its original values. Uh, so we took a year off. We took a year off in 2018 um, to put together a 100% new route for the final ever Transperance, which was in 2019. Because we'd We'd always changed the, the special out of the 24 special stages. We always changed 30, 40, 50% of those year on year. But um, for 2019, it was 100% new thanks to the year, the year out um, 
that yeah. we took. Yeah. And you, you built a, an incredible brand um, equity, I guess. There's a lot of awareness of Transprovence, a lot of people behind it. I, I'm interested in kind of how you went about creating Transprovence, the brand, because it, it became much more than just a, a race, really. Like, we, was that a conscious effort from your side? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a business person in any sort of capacity and, um, and anything, any brand value that, that, that there was, um, came about organically and as a, as a byproduct of what we were doing. Um, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, age old thing to say, but it, you know, we, we, we were not in this, you know, we were never in it for the, for building a brand and, and the returns that that might bring to us. Um, it was about, you know, it's about obviously about the passion for the thing. And, you know, going back to what I said a few minutes ago, that seed that was, that was planted, what, 35, 38 years ago now, it's, it's, it, it became a, um, you know, something that I felt I was, uh, something I felt like I was obliged to do, um, something that I've always felt like I had a duty to do, um, transfer on. So it's always been a kind of autopilot thing for me. We have to, we have to do this. And, um, it's actually more the people around me that, have, you know, su- suffered the, uh, not, not the consequences, but the sort of the, the, the things that need to be built around doing, you know, the three dimensional logistics, all that sort of stuff. Uh, my better half, Melissa suffers, you know, suffers that um not with me more for me she 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 takes charge of that sort of stuff so you know this isn't something you know i'm not a mastermind of of events i wouldn't be able to do this on my own um but um yeah it's um it's a it's a duty and uh it's something that uh people that people that know me um (laughs) know that they kind of get involved in it by being involved with me (laughs) and uh (laughs) that's that really was it was it hard to say goodbye to it in 2019? Was that definitely going to be the the final edition? Um, it wasn't hard to say. It wasn't hard to say goodbye to to it. Um, we had the, the. I've always said, and, and I said in one of the one of the episodes of the itinerology um, series that we were doing 2017, 2018, just after I chatted, chatted to you last. Uh, we said in the final edition of that that look, you know, this is sort of goodbye from this, you know, tangible form of this event. But the reason we set out with Transprovence in the first place was to spread a message about what we thought mountain biking could be, could become, and the adventures that people could go on. You know, not you know, not necessarily in the southeast of France and that bottom corner of the Alps, but anywhere, just to sort of like say a little bit about what we thought mountain biking could be. And you know, after ten editions you know, that, that message was, was out, you know, um, we, I guess we were preaching to the converted people that, you know, were converted before we ever said anything to them, for example, like, but whichever, by whichever means people, um, started doing the kind of riding that we started shouting about in 2009, um, that, that was out there by 2019. And, and I would never do an event for the sake of doing an event. So I didn't, I wasn't sad about, um, I wasn't sad about, and it wasn't difficult to say goodbye to that event um, in and of itself. Um, the, the one thing that sort of um, got me a little bit was that, you know, we haven't got something else in the pipeline yet at the exact moment that it was cut off. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd be able to, I can't imagine a life where I wasn't, you know, scrambling around on hillsides looking for trails. Um, that's just, that's what I do. It's not that's what I do. It's how I think, um, and it's the only thing I, I feel like I can really, the only place I feel like I can add value. So um, that that was difficult. It was uh, not not difficult. It was, um, it was a little bit of anxiety related to the fact that okay, there's nothing else lined up yet, and this is all I know. Um, uh-huh. But you know th- th- that that obviously led to a void to be filled, and something came along quite quickly. Yeah, and you didn't. Uh, I mean, you certainly didn't rest on your laurels. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly when this happened in the, the timeline, the grand scheme of things, but somewhere along the line, you decided to start a brewery as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
Um, <laughs> that, that's, that, that's true. That was a little bit like um, a sort of... Um, I don't really know how I how I how and why I decided I had time to do that, um, but that's just that's just me. I'll just sort of have an idea and um, sort of bite off far more than I can chew and just sort of nibble away at it gradually. Um, what happened is a very good friend of mine, uh, Tim, who I've known since he was since he was born, actually, um, mentioned to me um, about five or six, six years ago, no, maybe seven years ago, actually, that he, he wanted to start a brewery. Uh, and I thought, uh, whatever. And then I started to get into craft beer uh, about five years ago. And I thought, actually, it's quite good to try and make some of this. And then I said, oh, you know what you're saying about that brewery? Let's, let's start a brewery. And he was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, let's start a brewery. So we started a brewery here in the French Alps. And, uh, you know, thanks to Tim and the one employee, Arthur, that we've got now, um, they're killing it and you know i'm able to have time to go and do other stuff which i feel is important like this so um yeah brewery is you know producing 10 12 14 000 liters a month now and um it's starting to it's been difficult with covid you know it's been it's been basically hasn't done anything um uh-huh. during the two covid years but it's actually now starting to look like a proper semi all right business now so <laughs> Yeah. Nice. What, how do you pronounce it? Sapodia. Sapodia, which is, is, is Savoir in Latin, um, which means the land of coniferous trees, hence the logo, the sort of tree logo, which you may have seen. Yeah, yeah. nice. Where can I where can mm-hmm. I pick some up? Do I need to be in a ski resort bar? Yeah, you, would have to be, you would have to be somewhere over here in the Alps. It's really, really difficult. Even before Brexit, it was quite difficult to distribute beer in the UK before, before all of the rules actually kicked in. So now it's even harder. Um, just in the sort of quantities you'd be able to send over at once. But, you know, if someone's driving one way or the other, you can, you know, stash a few cans in the in the boot. No worries. Just give us a shout. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Sounds good to me. Have you enjoyed that? Because it's a really, it's a very different business, I guess, in, from what you're used to, what you've been doing with, with Trans-Provence and, and more recently. Like, how does it fit? Yeah, um, I'm not sure how it fits really. You know, this is this sort of, there's a bit of a thing, isn't there, about beer goes with mountain biking. I wasn't, I'm not really sure it was that. I just think that, you know, I liked beer, decided to um, decided to learn out how to make it. You know, it's fun with Tim learning how to make um, beer. The challenge, you know, overcoming the challenges of like, uh, you know, terrible first batches, absolutely terrible getting to the point that, you know, it's almost like, how did we make such bad beer? You know, you get into the point that you really genuinely know how to make good beer. And it's like, it's, it's quite very, very satisfying little thing to have learned how to do a little thing, a fairly big thing, I suppose. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's been, I've really enjoyed it, but it's, um, it, it's, it, it's not compatible with full-time work um, on, on what I'm doing now um and um yeah that's but yeah it's, it's really it's really nice the way it's worked out we found that a fantastic brewer um take on as a full-time employee and uh and and, and tim's running the show really really well so it's um yeah all good nice good stuff so yeah how when does the kind of the seed for stone king rally which is your most recent project where where does that come from it feels like it's part of the seed that was sown way back when you were four watching kickstart like you say but when did that start to shape up into something kind of clearer to you in your in your mind so that started to um take shape when i started chatting to said camp santa cruz um so and i, and I can't remember the exact moment but it was it was towards the very end of transparence or just after the very end where it's like oh come on like let's do something cool together. Um, I'd had a good relationship with Santa Cruz since, um, since 2013. And, um, you know, our, our headline um, sponsor for Chance Provence was no longer in the picture. We won't go into that, but um, just decided, we just thought that it'd be really cool to do something together um, with Santa Cruz that carried forward the sort of same values, but did take a really good look at um, you know what 
might we want to keep and what might we want to improve. Um, and we agreed on a couple of things straight away about um, Transprovence and those in terms of it, it's sort of like in shortcomings and stuff. And, and, and those things sort of, it was formed out of that really of what Stone King was going to be. Um, so one of the key things really was, was the accessibility side of things. Um, I don't really mean the, I don't mean the money and how much it costs to do an event because running a point to point event, um, across mountains like that, you know, 90 participants, 50 staff, it's always going to cost a certain amount, um, for, for the entry fee. But just as a general project, it, it, we agreed that there's this sort of thing going on where 50% of people really appreciate, appreciated what Transprovence had done and what it was trying to express. And 50% of people just found it too exclusive, um, too cliquey, too much of a club. Um, and that, you know, and, and therefore di- didn't appreciate what we we're doing. So, Straight away, we wanted to. Um, we, that, I was kind of mortified by that in a way when I when I really realised it. <clears throat> especially, I mean, as the years went by, but especially when it was sort of said to me, because something I think that people like me forget, and some in the industry in general, in mountain biking, I think we sometimes forget, is that the most important thing about mountain biking is just people bloody riding around on mountain bikes. Um, it sounds a little bit, it sounds a little bit cynical that about about racing and about all the great stuff we do in like, you know, you know, pro teams and organizing events and this, that, and the other. But the most important thing is just the mass of people just riding around in mountain bikes, enjoying themselves. And we're here to serve that. We're here to, to, to feed that with in court. I wouldn't go as far as calling it inspiring people, but like, you know, um, enabling enabling things and, and showing them what, what what our ideas are is is how we serve them. But they are the most important people, um, and they're the most important people to the brands as well. So it's about Stone King is about inviting people into something. Transprovence was about a vision for a certain type of mountain biking. Stone King is carries forward the same principles of mountain biking, which is, you know, a journey with, you know, gravity biased trails, um, you know, through unknown terrain carries forward the same kind of riding, but it invites people into a bit of a, a bit of an open club. And, um, we're trying to sort of bring in a bit of a new approach to mountain bike ecotourism. So it's inviting in on the one side, the public, the riders, and on the other side, um, the, the local providers and the, and the actors like hoteliers and restaurants and stuff like that. Um, because Transprovence had, what we identified about Transprovence is that it had, it had tunnel vision, essentially. And it wasn't through any malicious sort of reason. We were just focused on getting across our message quite aggressively for 10 years straight. This is what we believe mountain biking is. This is what we believe mountain biking is. We don't want to know about, you know, some sort of local scheme. We don't want to know about that. You know, we just want to do this. Um, and, that, and that's essentially the difference. Um, it, Stone King is, is 180 degrees on, on, on many of the things um, that the Transformers didn't do. Interesting. So how has that changed the challenge of putting it all together then? Because there's a lot, I guess there's a lot more to be done to make it work in that in that way well there isn't there isn't there, there isn't really more done to make it work um in, in the sense that like you know it's still in, in legal terms putting on a mountain bike race you still have the same authorizations um to to uh, fulfill you still have the same dossiers to, to put together all that sort of thing um but in terms of going as far as we want to go with it it is more what I mean by that is that, so Transprovence, if you look at the 24 special stages over the course of six days of Transprovence race, okay, every single one of those stages in terms of trail preparation would have had a bit of a tickle with a strimmer or a rake sort of thing. You know, it's just a little bit of a clean. Whereas we're going to town 
on Stone King. It's, it goes much deeper into like where are the best trails? How can we really make the best use of these mountains? How can we rejuvenate trails that haven't been used for 10, 20, 30, 50 years? Things like that. And that, and so it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a case of setting ourselves a challenge and almost having to now collaborate with local associations um, and things like that to, to, to get things off the ground and to, um, and to carry out projects. So it's, it's being, you know, learning to be more open, um, is, is one of the big things for me. Um, and so, yes, to, to go as in terms of the legalities of putting on a race, no, it's no more of a challenge in terms of going as far as we want to, to get something to, to, to make something better than transference. Yeah. It's, uh, it involves a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a bit about that collaboration side of things. So, Stone King is is way more than just a race, right? So there's a race, and like you say, racing pulls people in. It gives gives things a focus. But beyond the race, there's the Stone King Touring Club. I think I'm right in saying that's correct, which enables kind of anyone to come along and experience things. And with that, you're bringing more and more people into all of this these local areas, putting more people through the trails. There's potential for everyone along the route to to benefit from that i guess like tell me about that vision like how that all fits together well the, at the moment touring club is no more than a glorified platform of information um so it's not a it's not a booking platform um it's just a way of explaining to people how they can put together and navigate their way through their own stunking adventure so um, it's a sort of three-pillar system, if you will. There's going to be a, an annual book, which is a 200-page uh, document produced by or, or published by uh, Miss Spence Summers, um, which is it's a, it's a really nice eclectic sort of book, which has a little bit of sort of map geekery in it, a little bit of geo-historical geo stories about you know, the different places we go through, kind of linking past, present, and future of trails and bringing the relevance of the trails to the whole thing a little bit. Um, some, a report on each of the different trail projects um, that we're carrying out in preparation for the given year's itinerary, given year's race. Um, a little focus on each year's special uh, time special states, the 24 stages. And, and it's essentially um, a chapter-by-chapter, day-by-day book, day-by-day uh, chapter by chapter book and some practical information at the back about what kind of bike to bring, what kind of kit to bring, that kind of thing. Um, and that's a book which is sort of, it's it's not um, intended any more for the racers than a touring club rider. It's it's a, it's a general document to get people excited about going there. Um, mm -hmm. It is not a, a route guide um, and it doesn't contain any information that could go out of date so, for example, you won't find phone numbers and email addresses and hotel names in there. Uh, that that side of things we decided to keep on the next pillar, which is the website. Uh, so the website is essentially um, just a kind of geographically based um, hotel and amenities information uh, system where you can kind of click on different parts of the route and the relevant stuff that we recommend will pop up. Uh, and that's on our website. Um, that's obviously not behind any kind of wall. It's just there on our website. Um, and then there's the, then there's the app uh, and we're working with Kamut for that. So um, we're building our race and touring club um, navigation collections in Kamut. And um, that's, uh, that's, that's, sort of turn left, turn right, do this, do that. So between those three pillars, you have everything you need to be able to get excited about, plan for and navigate your your week on the on the Stone King itinerary. And at, not, not any time of year, but between June and October. Yeah, yeah, okay. And what, I guess so the only thing out of that that you're paying for is the book, right? No, so um, they there is a... We've got different sort of different packages. So um, the book you can you can purchase the book on its own, and you can also purchase um, a few different bits and pieces. So the um, 
the the the, the, tourist, the digital guide uh, is is paid as well. Um, so that is behind a that's behind a, a paywall. Um, that's thirty nine euros. <laughs> um, so there's I can, I can run th- I can run through what was, what was on our shop if you want. It makes it. Yeah, I think it'd just be interesting clearer. to give give yeah. a bit of perspective on like how it could work and what the options are. For yeah, people, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the um, so the book is you can buy the book on its own. It's an annual book. And it will come out every August right after the race. That's 24 euros. Um, you can buy the digital guide to the, the one part, one, the one item on our shop that's completely um, dematerialized is the digital guide, which is essentially access to the um, commute collection. And you get a commute uh, three-month premium voucher as well, which is, so that's 39 euros. Um, there is also um, a... A Stunking Touring Club standard bundle, which essentially includes the digital guide plus some bits and pieces like stickers, finishers badge, postcards, um, a few little goodies like that. And then there, that's 59. And then Stunking Touring Club premium bundle, which is 79. And that includes all of the above plus the book. Gotcha. So, so all in for 79 euros and you've got literally everything you need. Um, and that is literally just to fund the book or that that shop is to fund the book and nothing else which is yeah yeah gonna cost a little bit to very make. nice <laughs> yeah so what's the what's the reception been like from all the local communities that you you pass through then because obviously there's there's a lot of opportunity for them i guess they're probably places that aren't massively heavily trafficked by mountain bikers at the moment like how have they how have they taken it all it's been uh, very mixed actually because um, the places that we pass through over the six days have really, really varied in terms of um, in terms of how much mountain biking, how traffic they are, like you mentioned, um, and, and, and not. Um, and some of the areas have been a little bit more like, well, we don't need this. But one of the, one of the areas in particular towards the start of the route has been a bit more, you know, not telling us to go away, but a little bit more like, well, we've we've already got that. Um, so, you know, we don't need mountain bikers. We don't need this. We don't need that. We've already got mountain bikers. So that, that's actually been more of a challenge places that have already got something, something going on, but not exactly necessarily what we, um, are offering to them. Um, and then there's places where there's so the opposite end of it is there's places with so few people that there's almost not enough people to form a kind of even an opinion about what we're doing. Uh-huh. Um, which is also a weird feeling because it's been easy to get everything passed through and no one's said anything or been worried about anything, but it's almost a bit of a sort of vacant kind of thing. Um, and then there's a really, really nice happy medium. Uh, in fact, in most places where we, we've, you know, made friends with and started collaborating with some really, really good local associations where, you know, they're into mountain biking. And they see it as something that's going to save their valley. The people have literally said that to me, this is what's going to save our valley. Like, this is exactly the sort of thing we need. And um, it just had some really, really, really good days out on trails, trail building, talking about the future. Um, you know, the, just the sort of thing that kind of affirmative type stuff that makes me think, yeah, this is, this is why we're doing this. Um, so that's, um, you know, it was never going to be that every single valley, like, you know, welcomed us with open arms straight away, uh, not knowing what it was, who's this British guy, you know, coming into this little corner of Italy thinking, thinking he can run the show. Um, and obviously, as you understand, is not what I'm trying to do. Um, but, you know, in, in the couple of places where, where it has worked out really well so far, um, it's really made me thought, you know, think, yeah, this is, this is something that's worth fighting for. Um, it makes it sound extreme, but I think sometimes on the communication side, you do have to fight sometimes because you can say something to someone and they, you know, they can seem like they understood what you've meant by what you want to do, but they, but they don't. Um, and so sometimes it's a, it's a longer process and it's, uh, it's something that you have to show them in some other way. 
so it's um it is a fight sometimes it is a struggle and it's you know different languages and stuff like that but um there's been some really really positive reaction as well so that that kind of keeps it all keeps me keeps me buoyant nice so you've been up on the hill doing kind of trail building and maintenance work with with locals right in some instances at least yeah um so there's there's approximately so for this year's event which is coming up in two weeks time which is crazy three years into <laughs> it three, three years build up and two weeks left to go um this year's event there are approximately one significant trail project per day so approximately six uh-huh. it's probably about seven or eight really significant trail projects um for the for this year's thanking rally and they work in a variety of different ways. Um, so there have been um, there have been projects which have been 100% funded by the local city. Uh, that's a bit of serendipity, really. That's some of those are like projects that they were think they had a bit of a packet of money anyway, and we're thinking what to invest it in, and want to do something with mountain biking. Then we we sort of came along. So that's that's one of the really easy ones we haven't even had to like pick up a spade for that um and then it goes all the way through to me literally being there on my own swimming and digging on my own um but some of the nicer ones are the ones in the middle where you know working with local trail associations um on trails that they kind of you know either hadn't got around to doing wanted to do um in some cases trails that they didn't know were there um even though they're on the doorstep um yeah so some of the great trail days you've had have been like you know 10 15 people out for a day just getting it done with hand tools so a, a, a variety of different variety of different ways i mean some, some of it's been um people that have been employed by me and me sort of like you know put my hands in my pockets and finding a bit of budget, whichever way we just, you know, six, seven projects to get done before the race starts. Incredible work. Yeah. And it's so the, the route runs like sort of starts in France. Is that right? And then r- runs mostly through Italy kind of along the French Italian border. Yeah. So it starts in, in the Keras uh, area, which is sort of South of Briançon. Um, it's known as the last uh, unknown about gem amongst French uh, discerning French mountain bikers uh, or it was known as that five years ago I think we've uh, I think it's been a little bit it has been a little bit invaded since then and you know hence hence the local you know, tourist boards there saying we don't need any more mountain biking so yeah Keras and then over the Col Agnel, which is the highest international col in Europe uh, of Colagnel into into Italy, and then you've got the three um, the three valleys there, which are Varita, Myra, and Stura. You know, the three key valleys of that Occitan uh, area of Piemonte. So it's a it's a little it's a I would say a very kind of lesser known area of mountain biking, and that was the real adventure for me. I would say is is, is those valleys there because I don't hardly have heard of them really like three or four years ago and and the 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 bulk of the um trail scouting over the last few years has been in those valleys there just getting lost on my own in crazy crazy places um so that's that's like that that corner of corner of italy around cuneo uh, which is you know three quarters surrounded by alps and then from cuneo um or borgos and so you go up and over col de tonde um into the Roya. So that's that that is the little link with Transprovence 2019, uh the Roya Valley. And um a little bit in the Roya Valley down to Tond and then up and over into Liguria and you know around Molini, uh Dolce Aqua, Pina, those areas, and down to the coast, uh, Bordeguera. And uh, we picked, pick, picked a really nice place to finish in Bordeguera. You know, it's it's quite hard to find somewhere along the coast, both in the French and Italian side, that isn't a little bit overrun or a little bit, you know, really just been there, done that, or super busy, all that sort of stuff. So you've got San Remo and all those, all those kind of well-known like winter training tracks, or off San Romolo and those those things uh, just to the east. 
Um, but where we are in Bordeguera, there's like there's one mountain that's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a blank a blank piece of paper really in terms of uh, building new trails down almost all the way down to the coast. Uh, and Bordeguera are really into the idea of supporting some new mountain bike tourism. They want to start some e-bike tourism um, for some winter stuff. And yeah, it, it just, it works out really nicely because they will, they will collaborate with us over the next few years. So we've found a really nice spot to finish a uh, beautiful little old town, Bordeguera. And the campsite is um, not a campsite. It's uh, it's a parking area, which is just above the beach. So it's perfect ending and uh, yeah, should, should all be good. Very nice. How, and how would you describe the, the riding, I mean, I'm guessing it's going to be super varied over a, of a journey of that length, but are there particular themes to it? What kind of level are we talking from a, an ability point of view? Yeah, I mean, it's a, if you asked me a question like five, seven years ago, I'd be like, right, this is really hard. Because I think, to, you know, I think it's fair to say that that long ago, there's still a percentage of people that you know hadn't been to the Alps or you know considered a certain red grade trail in a trail center in the UK like difficult stuff like that um by alpine standards it's nothing particularly difficult um there obviously are you know tricky sections here and there but on the whole it's no, stone king and the route I've put together is no more difficult than a any other single track heavy journey through Alps, through the Alps. Um, so, and, and very, very varied. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Very varied trails, loads of different types of terrain, and you know, open mountainside, pasture, you know, coniferous forest, deciduous forest, brushwood, there's, you know, and then in terms of surface and substrate, there's, there's, there's everything really. Um, but difficulty level, difficulty level is, is hard in place. And the other thing as well is that I, I never, some of the more difficult riding might actually be on transfer stages because you've got to keep, you've got to keep a certain amount of risk debt off, off of special, off, off of time stages. Um, yeah. So there's a certain amount of homogeneity within the actual time stages. So they would say that I had a look at this yesterday, actually, they're all somewhere in the region of 400, 600 vertical meters uh down which some people well it's not very big for the alps but i i um i always it's part of the style that comes across from transprovence actually there weren't the special stages were never that huge i actually believe in just having people ride down really good trails as well so part of the week is just riding with them with the mates or with your mates down bits of trail and then the next bit's timed um i think if you time too much trail at once it ends up just end up getting really tired forearms and not enjoying it so it's a sweet spot and i think that's about 500 600 vertical meters for the length of the stage and then you know if you've got a bigger hillside than that then just ride just ride bits of it um untimed because that adds to the fun as well for sure and you've you've got the race coming up like you said very soon am i right in thinking it uses some level of shuttling like Transprovence did. So you, you're effectively, as a racer, you're getting more descending than you are climbing it. Yeah, about 2,000 vertical metres per day, two kilometres a day of shuttling because you've got uh -huh. 8,000 metres of climbing and 20,000 metres of descending over, over the week. So that's 12,000 metres difference divided by six to 12,000, um, 2,000 per day, two kilometres. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So if you're, if you're coming like to do this as part of the to Stone King touring club, how would you approach the route? Is that, are those uplift services still available outside of the race or are you kind of having to, to do more of that climbing kind of pedal assisted? Like how do you see the format working for people or are they more coming to just pick off a chunk and ride in a specific area? So it's completely open. All of this information is, is on the touring club platform. So, um, you can, so we work with cool bus for the race and then cool bus have got a, um, a stone King touring club package, with, which they offer from June through uh -huh. to October, um, which is 
you know, a, a sort of tailored package, taking your bags from hotel to hotel and you from Valley up to Trailhead, um, you know, they know the route. And, um, but then of course, you know, the information's there. If you want to self shuttle, we'll provide the official shuttle roads as well. Um, you know, this is not, again, this is, this is very much of an open invitation and open project. People should be allowed to go and ride these trails as if they're their own. And, you know, we don't want to be, have to, we don't want to be telling people how they should do it. And you have to pay for this, you have to pay for that. So e- equally, for example, on the, you know, the hotel side of thing, there's, there's all the different levels from camping through to like a four-star hotel. Um, the idea being that you can, you know, you can pay and like for example, you're self-shuttled camping, buying and cooking all your own food, you probably do it for 500 euros per person. But if you want the best of everything or the highest level of hotels uh, and being cooked for, then, you know, probably go up to up, upwards of 1200 euros per person, probably easily, easily spend two grand if you wanted to, depending on how many coffee, gelato and beer stops you had. So, um, so something, you know, at every level of budget was really, really important um, to, to us. Um, like I said, and it always comes back to the most important thing about mountain biking is just people riding the bikes. And, um, so we wanted to make sure that everyone was invited to this. Um, but yeah, so a bit of a tangent there, but that's to answer your shuttle question. Um, cool bus is, is, um, the one company that will take you from start to finish, um, Mm -hmm. in, in their tailored package, but you're more than welcome to shuttle it yourself. Yeah. Cool. And that, how is the food along the route? Because that's uh, whenever you go to the Alps, that's always one of the exciting upsides is that the, the food's generally pretty good. I'm guessing it's there's a lot to go at along this route. Yeah, um, there's uh, food's great. It's it's Italy. So, you know, it's, um, you know, the Piemonte is uh, just one of the many famous Italian regions for food. And it's, you know, it's a mountainous region. So you get some quite hearty dishes um but you know it's it's the same as the rest of italy in terms of the hospitality and the and the welcome and uh yeah there's and there's ice cream and coffee you know as much ice cream coffee and beer stops as you can shake a stick at so um yeah it's it's all there and it's you know we've rooted it through some pretty good places you know you, you go from being feeling like you're out in the wild and then you know you're in you're in a village with all the right things. So, um, yeah. And Kamut actually helps really nicely with that as well. So Kamut's got, um, the, the highlights feature where different things, um, pop up that are relevant to your journey and things like that. And, um, we've contributed to the Kamut highlights as well. Um, different kind of cafes and restaurants and bike shops as well. Important nearest bike shop for spares. So, yeah, it's all there. The, the, the platform has kind of, it, it's uh, kind of gone to town on information. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, just hopefully we get some good feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. And you, I mean, you mentioned that there's a, a book every year. Does that mean the route changes every year? What, like, what does Stone King 2023 look like, for example? Yeah. Um, the idea is to stay with approximately the same um, the same stop off towns every year, but to change the route hundred percent every year. So there'll be new trails and new hundred percent new special stages every year. So I've already scouted, um, about 50 or 60% of both year two and year three route. Um, what actually I kind of, I actually adopted a slightly new approach to scouting um, when I started out with Stone King because it was a little bit of a sort of, when I first started off in those valleys, uh, those Piemonte valleys uh, to the southwest of Turin, what, what happened was that it was so unknown to me that I was going off in all these different directions and it was quite frustrating because it was like, well, that's an amazing trail there. That has, that has to go into the route. And then I'd find, you know, diametrically opposite completely different direction trail over there which was also amazing and had to go into a route so instead of saying right this is all this kind of linear one-dimensional thing for the 2022 route i started already saying well 
as a more fundamental approach, there's going to be three approximately approximately parallel lines from the Keras, i.e., from the start down to the coast. Mm-hmm. So I started off with this, you know, after after the first few weeks or first month of kind of flailing around a little bit, I thought, right, look, settle down. Three approximately parallel lines from the start down to the coast over six days. And then whatever you find left, right, and center, you sort of approximately tag to one of the three lines. Um, and and that's, that's essentially... And then the way that the 2022 route was born was just the one of those lines that became the most filled filled in the quickest. Uh-huh. Um, so you've got, yeah, you, you're well on your way then for, for future years. I was going to ask, does, I mean, e-bikes have come on a long way since you started Transprovence. Has that changed kind of how you explore and how you search the trails or, or sped things up? It's, certainly? it's changed my life. I mean, that's, you know, spending as much time doing this as I do and then now having an e-bike, um, I get, I'd say at least twice, probably two and a half times as much work done in one day on average than I would have done on, on a acoustic bike. And um, yeah, it's, it's, changed, it's changed everything. I think we'd be yet another year behind if it wasn't for an e-bike. I think, I don't think the Beast Stone King this year if I hadn't had an e-bike since spring 2020. Um, Amazing. Are you carrying a spare battery when you go out on these big days? Because I'm assuming you're kind of away from the van or whatever for quite long periods of time. It, it depends. Um, so typically not. Typically I would do uh, a loop in the morning, back to the van for lunch and loop in the afternoon. That would be the sort of typical plan for for being able to travel relatively light. Um, but there are obviously times where you need to sort of validate a day from start to finish. And that could well involve taking two batteries. So, uh-huh. yeah. Um, can, and invariably... Can you that, see the route? Sorry, go on. Invariably, that'll mean just completely grilling through the first one in like 20 minutes just to get up, you know, <laughs> 800 vertical meters or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's been there's been various amusing sort of like battery logistics things that have happened over the last couple of years um, to sort of not have to carry the battery for the rest of the day and how you know, things like that on technical descents in the backpack. Um, but yeah, no, it has, it has been life-changing though. No doubt about it. Yeah. Do you, do you foresee people coming to ride the route or elements of the route using e-bikes? Because it's definitely a, a massively growing part of the mountain bike world that we, we can't ignore. Yeah, I would absolutely encourage it, to be honest. I think, um, I think that, you know, people might see it as a bit of a, um, is this, is this a sort of way of, a binary, a binary choice between like riding an e-bike and trying to get through the route without, without shuttles. And that in itself would then be another challenge. So for example, if you came with an e-bike to ride Stone King and tried to do it without shuttles, then you've got the added logistics of like, of still moving your kit from camp to camp, also like e, yeah. e-bike packing or whatever. And then how do you charge your batteries and stuff like that? Um, so I would still recommend just having shuttles, even though, you know, it, it, there is a cost associated with shuttles, but having shuttles and um, and just, just having an e-bike, because it's still, it's still a fair bit of climbing. You know, it's still 1,800 metres, 1,700 metres on some of the bigger days of, of climbing. Um, so come and do it with an e-bike makes it a bit easier, makes it a bit quicker to get through the days, especially in some of the sort of marginal times of the season in terms of um, in terms of um, daylight, like October or whatever. Like yeah, you you know you forecast some good weather, but you know the nights drawing a bit faster. Come with an e-bike, you know. In modern e-bikes, you can enjoy the descents just as much. Um, there's no shame in getting a shuttle with an e-bike because some of the shuttles are actually kind of distance shuttles as well. They're not just altitude shuttles. They kind of take you somewhere along a main road for like 10, 15 minutes. So yeah, 
the more the merrier and e-bikes are great and I massively encourage them their use will you end up with it on your back at any point like is there much sort of hiker bike stuff that would be particularly challenging with the weight of an e-bike or um yeah a little bit uh but not not too much so I've, I've ended up carrying an e-bike plus a spare battery on the back <laughs> up, 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 up scree slopes um you know scrambling around doing what i do um but on the official final route it's it's lit there might, you know there's not much of that there might be uh-huh. let's let's try and be realistic um and not not say something that's a lie um there might be an hour of hiker bike even with an e-bike over the course of the week okay. hour and a half but you know it's yeah. it's something that can be done it's only it's it's five or six kilos heavier than a normal bike for yeah. sure it's it's not easy but it's not easy, but the rest of it, the rest of it is much easier. You know, with stuff. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fatigue's not there in, in the same way. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, actually you were so early on the podcast that we didn't have all of our final four questions at that point in time. So there's a couple you've not had yet. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd ask you those before we wrap up. The first one of those is if you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? <laughs> you completely surprised me there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. No worries. You can have all the time in the world, man. And it doesn't have to be bike related. Maybe there's someone in the, in life outside of bike. No, that That's easy. Then. Or... That, that's easy. Um, cause you know, that's the problem I'm beyond help with mountain biking. Uh, no, I'd love to, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to be able to play a guitar solo like Mark Knopfler. Like, you know, it's like, how, how, how do you, how do you learn how to do that? That that's for sure. That, that's for sure. The number one, probably always All has right. been. Yeah. Good stuff. I like it. And then the final question, what do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Is there something that's uh, pretty much a daily feature in your life that, that really works for you? Ooh, I could say something, but it might sound a bit preachy. It's all right. I don't drink alcohol anymore, but that's okay. That's uh, that's been a year and a half now. That's that's changed. How you, that's changed everything. How are you how are you feeling as a result of that? Uh, a lot more honest than myself. Uh-huh. Um. A lot more, a lot less brain fog, a lot clearer about why I'm here and what I'm doing. Um, definitely better relationship with pretty much everyone. Yeah. Lost weight. Yeah. Feel more energy. There's, oh, there's, no, there's no, you, no end to the benefits at all. Do, yeah. you, do you miss it? Were you, were you a big drinker before? Would you Were you a regular drinker? So the thing with starting a brewery is that it makes it very easy to have like two or three or four beers every day. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's more of a kind of creeping thing. Um, and uh, so never really any massive parties or anything. But yeah, overall Just, yeah. Consumption, was, consumption was too high. So um, at one point I just thought, you know, that's enough. There wasn't any big life event at all. It's just like I thought, you know, this is a, this is. There's one point where I just thought, nah, that's that. I don't know what it was, and yeah, uh, I've never looked back. So that was that was the fourth of December, 2020, and that was yeah. my last drink, and that will be my last drink. Impressive, that's, man. Good, strong. Um, it's not. It's not though. It's uh, it's not. It's not willpower. It comes down to it's um. There's, you know, there's stuff you can read. It comes down to tools, basically. It comes down to, it comes down to mindset and, um, mm-hmm. and the subconscious mind and, uh, and retraining your subconscious. 
That's all it is. Yeah. There's, there's literally no desire at all to drink. Interesting. And, uh, Did you- what it does do is there is a weird effect of when you see people going about their daily business and drinking, it just makes you think, wow, crazy. You can't, it's unfathomable how much people drink and the extent to which society is addicted to it without admit- oh, and, sure. and, 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 and in denial. Um, yeah. But and then the hardest thing is you can't you can't tell them. You know, I was very very hesitant just to even mention it just then because when, because it's just the first thing that came to my head. But you can't. People have got to realize about themselves if they want if they if they're going to stop. You can't you can't be ramming it down the throat. I only ever mention yeah, it. People, uh, so I, I only ever mention it if people ask. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I can't let you go without very quickly. You mentioned retraining the subconscious mind. Is mm-hmm. there a, like a book or something that stood out in your research that's kind of helped you do that piece of work? Is there anything you'd recommend people to look at? Yes, there is. It's a book called This Naked Mind by a lady called Annie Grace. And okay. it is, you know, it's essentially you've got to be you've got to be open-minded when you read it because I'll be honest with you, it's the next best thing. It's the, it's, it's the next thing to essentially hypnotism because it's that that is essentially what hypnotism is. It, it's it's speaking to your subconscious and making you underneath it all realize that you don't want to drink. So, for example, you know, all of us that have got you know, any inkling of like scientific you know, education, know that alcohol is a poison, right? Yeah. You know that it contains, it's ethanol. It's a, it's a fuel that can, that can power internal combustion engines, right? But our subconscious wants to drink because the subconscious has been, has been trained um, by big alcohol and by the governments, which make a heck of a lot of money out of alcohol duty. Um, yeah been trained um, since a very early age that drinking is a good thing to do and that we should want to do it and that there's something wrong with us if we don't want to do it. You know, it's the one drug we have to justify not taking. Um, so it essentially, uh, this, this book has these intermittent chapters which essentially untangle um, those uh, preconceptions and those, and those beliefs and those conclusions that have already been made by your, your subconscious mind, uh, it untangles them all um, and makes you literally not have any desire to drink. Um, so whenever people say to me, oh, oh well done, Ashley, like, you've got really strong willpower, like, I need to find the same like strength. It's not about that at all. It's just about having the tools to essentially un-F your, um, you know, your subconscious when it comes to alcohol. And it's actually... It has been honestly amazingly easy. Yeah, um, that's super interesting, man. Well, I will definitely stick a link to that book in the show notes. So people can pick that up because that sounds incredibly interesting. I might well have a look myself. It's taken a bit of a different direction, hasn't it? The chat. Yeah, it's all good, don't it? <laughs> if, so if people want to uh, look at Stone King Rally, find out more about that, where are the best places for them to head? There's a website, there's Instagram, right? Yeah, so stonekingrally.org. And then um, you can Touring Club is not actually launched yet, but we'll be sort of soft launching and dripping it all out over the course of the next weeks and probably going for it a bit more right after the race. Um. But yeah, Instagram, Stonking Rally, Facebook, Stonking Rally. Um, yeah, it's all there. And there should be some Perfect. quite there should be some quite fun media coming out of the race um, in two weeks' time. Good stuff. Well, yeah, I, uh, I look forward to seeing it and maybe getting a chance to ride at least some of the terrain at some point uh, in the near future. It would be awesome. It sounds like a fantastic project. hope the first issue goes well and... Uh, yeah all the best thanks for coming on it's been fun catching up and uh we'll see you around soon thanks very much chris thanks for having me nice one cheers ash cheers all right that's it for this episode with ash i really hope you've enjoyed listening a big thank you to we are one composites for supporting this episode if you're in the market for a set of carbon wheels from a brand that really does sweat the details to create a rim that's robust, high quality and rides like a dream, then you need to head over to wheel1composites.com now. As a downtime listener, you can get 15% off any wheel sets built with Onyx Vespa hubs 
and all Rim Only products until the 31st of July by using the code VESPER15 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's V-E-S-P-E-R-1-5, all uppercase, over at weareonecomposites.com. Also, a massive thanks to Psychology. If you're looking for something unique and original to wear on the bike, then check out Psychology. High quality riding kit at incredible prices is made even better with their offer for downtime listeners of 20% off until the 5th of July, which is fast approaching. So if you're keen, head over now to psychologygear.co.uk. That's psychology spelled C-Y-C-O-L-O-G-Y and use the code downtime20 at the checkout. That's downtime, all uppercase, followed by the number 20. Also, thank you to Santa Cruz. You can check out all that they do over at santacruzbicycles.com and find out all about the Stone King over at stonekingrally.org. Here's a few other links that might be useful to you. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>